when pastor called, I uh, was quite surprised. And he said, we're doing champions. I thought, oh, okay. He said, I'd like to have you do a champion. Well, I knew immediately what I wanted to do because there is a champion in the Old Testament that I have fallen in love with and have studied much on. Not a very big chapter written on, just a small portion. But his name is Benaniah. Okay? So I'd like to lay the framework for who Benaniah was. Benaniah was one of David's 30 or 37, whichever, it depends on what, what part of the scripture you're reading. He had the 30 top men or 37 top men. Benaniah was on the, not the top three, but he was up near the top. He's a tough little dude. And I'm going to read about his competition so you can kind of get an idea how tough these guys were that were working with David. And I'm in 2 Samuel 23, starting at verse 8. 2 Samuel 23, starting at verse 8. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament, yeah. Second uh-huh. Samuel 23, 8. It says, these are the names of the mighty men who David had. Joheb, Bashabeth, the Tehishamite, chief among captains. He was called Adino, the Eznite, because he killed 800 men at one time. Let me read that again. He killed 800 men at one time. Not in, a, not in a lifetime, at one time. And after him came Eliezer, son of Dodo, the Ohite, I'm not sure glad <laughs> I'm not Roger, son of Dodo. One of three mighty men that David had that defiled the Philistines that were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated, and he rose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand stuck to his sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him to plunder. One man, the whole army had skedaddled, and one man had the courage to sit there and said, I'm not running. Now, I'm sure it wouldn't take hard to, to realize you're going to completely encircle a man like this and take him down. He had to be an absolute wild man. He had to be totally crazy. Because he had no style or form except survival. Isn't it amazing when we get away, and it's absolutely critical how we can get away from the things that hold us back from being coming into the perfection that we have need of. Second Samuel 23, 18 and 19. Now Abishai, the brother of the son of Zeruah, was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men and killed them and won the name among these three. Go down to verse 20. Benaniah was the son of Jehodiah, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel. Jehodiah at this time was a priest. 
Benaniah was in the priesthood, which means that he was out of the tribe of what? He had to be out of the tribe of Levi. His daddy was a priest. He should have been a priest. He didn't. He became a soldier. He had killed a lion, two lion-like mighty heroes of Moab. When they say lion-like, the Moabites had a way of honoring superhero soldiers. And they called them lion men. They were the best of the best of the best of the best. Two of them came against Benaniah, and he killed them both. Tough little dude. But here's, here's where I, we're going to start tonight. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. This guy's nuts. <laughs> well, let me read one other part here. It said he killed an Egyptian, a spe spectacular man. We'll get to this a little bit better a little later on. They figured the man was seven and a half feet tall. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, and he went down, and Ben and I went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear from the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. <laughs> he went after the man with a stick, a walking stick. The guy, ben and I, at best, is five feet tall. This guy is seven and a half feet tall. I was standing the other day, uh, when, when we were traveling, as we were up at the park, and there was a man there that had to be seven feet tall, and I had to see just how tall he was, so I kind of snuggled around the crowd and got over to him, and I realized the top of my head didn't quite get to the top of his shoulder. So I figured he had to be a minimum of seven feet tall. Well, add another six inches to it and take another foot off me. And this guy had this spear, plus he had the reach. You know, in boxing, success is predicated not only in your ability to punch, but your ability to outreach the other guy. And any time they, they would have a match, they would, of course, weigh the guys and everything else, but they also measured the length of the reach because here, this, the other guy can hold the guy and hit him in the face, and the other guy is swinging like crazy and can't even hit the... So if I know what the reach is... Okay, a little boxing here, you can understand. If I understand what his reach is, I now can change my style of fighting so that I can't, he can't use it to his advantage. I'm going to get under it and inside him. Because if he's too close, he can't hit me hard. Okay? They say if you want to kill a grizzly bear, snuggle him and run your knife up him. Don't get back too far because he'll, he'll tear your head off with one foot. <laughs> okay? Here's Ben and I. He goes out there. It didn't say he had to go out there. Come on, are you with me here? But there was something there that compelled him that required a response. Something was in his way. And rather than avoiding it, rather than going and getting help, he took it on all by himself 
went out there with his stick, disarmed the dude, took the spear away from him, and killed him with it. Oh, great thing. Feisty little dude, ain't he? <laughs> Got some notes here. So when you go out to meet a lion and all you have is a sword, you do all you can to avoid it. Now, one of the, I, found, I just read this today in one of the commentaries. One of the worst fears that anyone had in Israel was coming across a line. Because more likely than not, they're going to attack you. They can run 35 miles an hour, and they can jump 30 feet in a, in a, in a bound. So, you know, <laughs> depends on the degree of scared. If you can run 40 miles an hour, oh, I saw a cute sign the other day. The guy said, no trespassing. They said, but if you do, you must make it across this field in 29 seconds because the bull can do it in 30. <laughs> but here, when he went out to meet the lion, he was in a pit. We think of a kind of a, kind of a, a, a dugout area. It wasn't. More likely than not, it was a cistern. In Israel, they had water that, or cisterns that would capture water and when the dry season came, they had a place to have it. Something, somehow the lion got into the cistern. We don't know if he jumped in there on purpose or whatever else. A lot of things we don't know. We don't know how long it was there. We don't know if it was hungry or not. We don't know. We know it was wet because it was snowing. We know it was cranky because it's cornered. And you got a crazy man who sees the lion in the pit and then jumps in to kill a lion. Have you ever stopped to think that sometimes God puts lions in your path just to see what you're going to do? You're going to deal with it? Or are you going to avoid it? Because I, I love the scripture. He says he, he gives you no temptation, but with a way he will always give you a what? And a way of escape. However, you haven't learned that yet, you have just what? You just escaped. You're going to go back. And you escape and go back and escape until you get sick and tired of it, and one day you're going to kill a lion. <laughs> Circumstances. How deep was the pit? We don't know. How much snow was on the ground? How much snow was in the bottom of the pit? How secure was his footing to having, having leather soles on in a snowy surface? If you haven't grown up in the snow, there's some things you don't do is if it's icy and snowy, you don't wear leather-soled shoes. Because it, it's just like having ice skates on. I mean, only no control. You can be standing there and just all of a sudden your feet whip out from under you. Notice nothing was mentioned about a weapon. He said he jumped in. Now the fact is, he said when he went to meet the giant, he had a stick. But here it didn't say he had a weapon. He just said he jumped in the pit. What was his plan to kill a lion? <laughs> Things that we don't understand. Yeah. Five times better eyesight in the dark 
than a man, the lion has. Totally sure-footed in the environment, the man wasn't. Questions I have, how do you attack a lion? Now, a lion weighs roughly 500 pounds. All they have to do is bump against you and knock you down. Okay? Do you jump in the pit and attack him? Do you jump in the pit and put your back against the wall and wait for him to attack? Or do you jump on him? <laughs> okay? When the, when the Lord brings the lion in your path, do you go back and get further instructions on how to go into the pit and how to take down the lion? Because if you carelessly jump in the pit and your fit slips, you are, you are now a lion burger. <laughs> okay? See, one of the challenges that we have when the enemy comes against us is we don't get enough information to know how to take him down. We have a tendency to be like Ben and I jumping in the pit. Okay? There was a time the enemy had come against us quite strongly and I was getting ready to just go after him and the Lord said, wait, what is your plan? And I said, to attack! He said, with what? What is the word? What is the scripture? What is your justification? What is your authority? What is your weapon that's going to take him out? The last weapon you used was for the last issue. It will not work for this issue. Okay? That's why we can never formulate what God does. Because where our hand happened to vibrate when we touch somebody's head doesn't mean that from now on, anytime we pray for everybody, our hand has to vibrate. It just happened on that one time. Okay? <laughs> you can't say step one, step two, step three. Now, we can give you some ideas of things to do, but much of the time, I take the scripture and when it says, lay hands on no man swiftly, and when they come up for a prayer, I said, Lord, what are we up against? Because I'm going to go for the obvious, and that's not necessarily what their need is going to be. Are you with me? So I said, okay, where are we at? What's, what's happening here? Because right now, at this particular time, I'm not in a hurry. I'm more interested in success than I am getting through. Okay? And I've got to find out what weapon is going to work. Am I going to cast out? Am I going to take the word? You know, just, you know, am I going to lay hands on them and that's it? What, what, what is going to, what's it going to take to kill a lion in this particular issue that just stepped in front of me? What can I glean from this? First Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, does what? Walks around as a roaring lion, seeking who, may, who he may devour. Then I love this. Resist him. Now, this word resist doesn't mean you make a feeble attempt at it. That's giving it 110%, 110% of the time. 
When the enemy comes in to your house, I get a kick out of Lenny. The minute that she senses that somehow a spirit that is not welcome in our home has come into our home, she is not gentle about it at all. I sometimes feel very sorry for the devil when she gets upset. Because, man, she is like in wide open. Not my house, not this time, not now, out. I was telling the story about getting upset, a guy that had offended me 25 years before. I was painting, and you should never paint because your mind is blank. I didn't have any music on, didn't have anything going. So I'm thinking about this guy. The more I think about him, the more angry I get. I mean, it's 25 years. It's something that happened in college, and I'm just, I'm just smoking. And uh, I was painting our front door, and we got these little boxes in them, you know, and oft times to paint the boxes and get it right, you just gob the paint and let them drip, a little, what I call weep. Then you go back and you know, just feather the, the paint in, and you're, you're fine. Hmm. I was painting away, and I was in the lower part of the door, and Lenny had just come home, and she came in the backyard, and he was walking by to go in the bedroom, and she looked out, and she said, you have some paint running up here. In a very gentle way, I got up and said, I wish you hadn't said that. That upsets me. The only thing is they heard me three or four blocks down the street. I railed on her. I, I was totally out of control. One of the few times in my life. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, in the name of Jesus. What's got a hold of you? Come out of him and come off of him now in the name of Jesus. I walked out and tell people I walked out and I stepped into my pool and I was so hot the water was just boiling around my legs. <laughs> but I realized I had a line. I had something controlling me that had controlled me for 25 years. The sad part about it is if I met the man, I would have to explain who I was Are you with me? He wouldn't remember me, which was even worse. But he's in my head controlling me. And that's one of the first times the Lord taught me how to empty yourself of that kind of nonsense. And I caught myself standing in the middle of the front room and said, Father, I don't know where this man is, but if he shows up to my door and he's hungry, I'll feed him the best meal you can get. If he needs a bed, I'll give him my bed and sleep in the guest room. But this stops here, this stops now, it's over. I forgive him as though he had never done anything to me in my life. And I tell you what, that thing lifted off of me like a backpack. Amen? It's a lion. We miss it. We think we're supposed to pet the pussycat. We're not. We're supposed to kill the pussycat. Come on, are you with me? We're not to feed it. We're not to make it comfortable. We're not to try to hopefully domesticate it so it won't rise up and come against us. Come on now. Are you with me? Okay. Benaniah, we don't know why he went after the lion. I have a suspicion that he wanted to do it to get the king's attention. Because there was an opening in the palace. Come on, are you with me? There's an opening in the palace 
for someone to take care of his bodyguards, to be in charge of the bodyguards. And Benaniah said it's going to take something special to get something special. Let me tell you something. Let me make it real easy for you. Before promotion comes, before fulfillment comes, you're going to have to face the line. Let me say it again. Promotion does not come before the line. The line always comes. When you see the line, you want to kill him quick because you know what's on the other side. If there's a breakthrough somewhere, somehow, that's going, to, that's going to go from a different level where you're at to a whole new plane. And we have one or two choices. We can either walk away from it and live in, in mediocrity the rest of our life, or we can be a high risk to the point of dying if we have to, to accomplish something that not only is going to further the kingdom of God, but promote us into a higher plane and a higher level and a higher area of life. <laughs> Where I got I got a little note under here that says it, it rarely is your aptitude that wins the battle, it's your attitude. I, I I was sitting here thinking about it. I thought I don't know how many guys were with Ben and I when he jumped in. We knew some other men were with him. He doesn't say how many. They saw a 500-pound problem, and he saw a 500-pound possibility. Let me say it again. I think he missed it. They saw a 500-pound problem. He saw a 500-pound possibility. And all he had to do was kill it. Oh, man. How we react when we encounter these lines determines our destiny. I don't know about you, I hate mediocrity. You know what the word mediocrity means? It means halfway up the mountain. Okay? It means halfway into anything and stopping is mediocrity. God's not called you to mediocrity, he's called you to greatness but he's not going to put you in without you taking out a line or taking out a seven and a half foot dude who's got a spear and you've got a stick. <laughs> oh. The Egyptian, I got down here, he said, he refused to be intimidated with the weapons and the sides of the enemy. He took the fight to him. He used the tools that were available at the time. He didn't quit fighting until he had totally overcome. We don't know how long they fought. They could have fought all afternoon. If you have to, take the weapon that the enemy has that was going to use against you and use it against him. What did Jesus do when, when the enemy took the weapons of the word against Jesus? 
He came right back with the word. He said, ah, dude, <laughs> you got it close, but not close enough. What it says is this. There's always be time to have, there'll always be a time when we have to face the giants in our life. Here's, here's Ben and I's background. I thought you'd find this interesting. This is uh, 2 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. You don't have to turn to it. I'll just read it to you. It says, therefore, uh, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Abd Abdullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered with David. What do you think of this 400 men? Let me read it again. Everyone, not just a few, how many? Everyone. Who was in distress, everyone who was what? In debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to David. What do we know about Benaniah? He was either in distress, he was either in debt. I kind of think he was discontented, I'll be honest with you because he couldn't find anybody who was fighting at his level. And he was dealing with mediocrity all around him and it was driving him nuts. And he was driving everybody else nuts until he could line up with someone that he could look up to where he could fight for. Come on, are you with me? Yeah. Can I just, can, let me just give you 15 cents worth of advice. Always fellowship with someone who's above you spiritually, not someone below you, unless you're counseling. If you're going to develop friends, develop friends at your level or above. Because if they're below you, they will suck you down or suck you dry, whichever the case may be. The cave of Adullam. A couple of things I thought you might, again, this is, this is free. Whenever David was being chased, and he needed to rest. There was a place Saul wasn't aware of. It was a cave of Adullam. It's a place of rest, it's a place of security, it's a place of comfort. That's where David and his army was when Saul came in to go to the bathroom. And Abishai who was Joab's brother, said, we got him. Let me kill him. He said, no, can't touch him. But remember what he did? David went around and snuck around behind him. So evidently, the guy must have been doing this big business, and he got behind him, and he cut off a chunk of his robe. That was in the cave of Adullam. So when you hear about, the, about, the, about that story, now, now you know where it happened. <laughs> okay. Second, First Chronicles 27, 4 through 7, let me read it to you. It says, over the divisions of the second month was Dadoi, the Anohite, and his division, Milkaloth, and he, uh, was a leader, and his division was 24,000 men. Here's verse 5. The third captain of the army was the, uh, for the third month was Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, the priest who was chief, chief priest at that time. In his division were 24,000. So now we have gone, if you stop, well, I'll get to it in a minute here. Benaniah was 
again, it continues, verse 6, this was Benaniah who was mighty among the 30 and, and was over the 30 and his division was his son. Solomon came along and he kept Benaniah in his army. So evidently he must have been younger than David because David is now dead. Solomon has come in. Benaniah is still one of the captains, one of the 11 captains that are that are handling the army. And when David had talked to Solomon, he said there's a couple of things you need to do. One of them is be sure you kill Joab. Joab you can't trust. Joab was an incredible soldier. Joab was an incredible fighter. But Joab was not loyal. He was not loyal to David. David told him, don't kill Absalom. Joab saw him and says, we're going to stop this rebellion once and for all. If it happened before, why? David was a weak father. David didn't discipline his kids. One brother rapes his sister, and what does he do? He slaps him on the hand. You know, so, I mean, he's not the father that needs to be done. Absalom has humiliated him, has raped his wives, his concubines, on top of the castle in front of the whole world. And he knows if David gets a hold of him, he's going to forgive him and put him back in. They're going to deal with this again. So Joab made a quality decision. But it ticked off David. Not only that, he killed a couple of men that Abner and... and oh, I, I knew them just a minute ago. 13 seconds ago, I could have told you. And, uh, yeah, he killed them, and they were righteous men. And he said they should not have done it. It was not during war. It was during peacetime. He was a man of war, not of peace. There'll be a problem to you, kill him. So what does Solomon do? He calls Benaniah. And he says, go find him and get him. Well, he found him in the temple, hanging on to the horns of the altar. And he goes back to Solomon, and he says, we got a problem, dude. He won't come out. I told him, the king says, come out. He said, I'm not going to come out. I'll die here. And Solomon said, okay, that's what he said to do. Go ahead and kill him. So he went into the temple and killed Joab right there. Yeah. Joab was still the commander over all the armies. Guess who became the commander over all the armies? Benaniah. Obedience. Dealing with the unpleasant. Facing the giants. Killing the lions will get you promoted. Joab was a fierce fighter. Most of the people were afraid of him. Benaniah is the only one that Solomon knew could take him down. I don't think Joab hung on to the horns of the altar and just let the man walk up and slaughter him. I, you know, come on now, I'm not that simple. I think that temple was an absolute bloodbath by the time they got done. <laughs> but God's going to ask you to do the things that aren't nice, the things that aren't fun, the things that aren't clean, the things you want to avoid. And you're either going to avoid them and miss or you're going to do it and reap the benefits that God has for you. Ben and I is my champion. He started out as one of the 30. He became number four or number five in the 30. But of all the 30, he was the only one who became 
the captain of the, the, the palace guards, he, like the top 11 men, other, uh, 10 other men, all became division leaders, 24,000 men, but he was the only one out of the whole bunch that became the commander of the army. Just because you're not number one doesn't mean that God can't use you. Come on now, you see? He may have not been number one, but Ben and I didn't know it. Are you with me? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And take down the enemy. He's called you a winner. He's called you an overcomer. If he gives you a line, do you think he's going to give you a line that will take you down? Come on. He's going to be strong enough and mean enough you're going to have to fight him. Yeah. I remember one time I was boxing. We had a boys CYA type reformatory outside of our city. I had boxing out there. I was really having a lot of fun. Until this one, he, he t the coach teamed me up with this one kid, and he had a neck about this high. And he flat freaked me out. And I learned the fine art of running backwards. The guy never touched me, but I didn't hit him either. <laughs> and the coach, I had to laugh. I laugh at it now. It wasn't funny then, but he, he said, Ron, come on over. He said, sit down with me. And he gave the boys something else to do. He looked at me and said, what happened? I said, what do you mean? I, I, we were fighting. He said, no, you didn't fight. He never swung. He, he said, he swung. He couldn't hit you. You were moving too quickly. He said, he scared you, didn't he? I said, yes, sir. He said, son, do you really think that I would put someone in here that you wouldn't have the ability to take down? And I said, sir, I never... And that thought never entered my mind. But it won't happen again. No temptation is given to you. There's a way out, but there's a way over. Amen? You're more than conquerors through Christ who loves you. Greater is he that's in you. He's called you to greatness. He's not called you to mediocrity. He's not called you just to do a daily thing. He's called you into his realm to play by his rules, which is high risk, god-awful high risk. But it's all reward. No guts, no glory, no, no risk, no reward. It's called the just shall live by what? By faith. That means you're sucking air continually. <laughs> Father, let your power and let your glory saturate our minds with the confidence that you have in us that whatever comes against us is not greater than our ability to take down. That you've already given us the crown and the belt and you've already presented us to the hosts of heaven as overcomers and winners. That we are all champions, Lord. That there's something greater. There's a, a greater level. There's a greater opportunity. There's a greater battle waiting for us. And let us not be like 
the rest of the guys and just stand and look at the hole, but be like Ben and I and go Yahoo and jump into the sucker and just see what we can do. That we might do mighty things for you, that your name might be glorified, Father. Souls might be touched, lives may be changed. Salvation may come in places that we at least expect it. We give you the praise and the glory for it in your holy name. Oh, I got something else. Excuse me. I got this on the news tonight. They, they were honoring uh, Muhammad Ali. And somebody had something here that went right along so well. It's called impossible. Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the works they've been given. And I got, got worked instead of works than to explore the power they, that they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration, it's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. And I mean, if that's true in the natural, how much more? Is it true in the supernatural? 